0: and one evangelist go out. Just like I would be calling you saying, let's all go out and look for Gianna. Let's all go out and look for her. And if you anybody, know anybody, call them too to look for her. It was not only the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost, but in his love for lost humanity, he looks for others who have, who have his name, Christians, and says, how could you be sleeping? How could you be resting? Don't you know that one of my children are lost out there? How can you just go through the motions, come with me, let's go. And there is a sense of desperation that Jesus knows that his children are lost. And not only Jesus is looking, but he's inviting you and me to look as well. Well, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul breaks down the book of Romans pretty clearly. Romans chapter 1, he preaches that all the Gentiles are lost. And all the Jews that were listening to him were like, amen, amen, right? We're the children of Abraham. The Gentiles are lost. But then, if he, they would have kept reading his book, they would have not liked the second chapter. Because the second chapter said that the, the Jews are lost. And then when you get into the third chapter, the Bible tells us that all humanity is lost. Romans chapter three, verse 23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then comes the good news, because Romans chapter four, verse five, speaks about the way of salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. And we say amen and amen, but then chapter 10 tells us how that is accomplished. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 begins with these words, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So for someone to be saved, they must make a conscious decision to call upon the name of the of the Lord. Maybe that was your experience one night. Maybe you were sick and tired of drugs or partying. Maybe you were sick and tired of just living a successful life with no meaning. Maybe one day you were feeling that life was just passing you by and you were saying, what's the purpose of all this? And all of a sudden in your despair and your children being sick and your marriage not going well, you got down on your knees and you said, Lord, help me. That was a conscious decision of you calling on the name of the Lord. And if you called for him to save you, he did save you. But listen to what the Bible says of how that is accomplished. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So before you can call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, you must what? You must believe. But listen, it continues. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So in order to be saved, you must call upon the name of the Lord. But in order to call upon the name of the Lord, you must believe that he is and he exists. But how can you believe in whom you have not heard? And how shall they hear without a a preacher? This is the theology of the Bible of why we are asked to proclaim the gospel. It says, how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You know, in the Bible, you hear the word preach many times. And when most members think of preaching, they look up at me and say, well, pastor preaches but I can never preach. This text must be talking to ministers, right? It must be talking to pastors, and if they're not preaching, they're not doing their job. But many times, the original language is a lot more rich than the English language. As we, her, uh, as we met uh, Carly Willard, she's uh, studying linguistics, and she's studying many languages that are very complex and are more rich than English. Because many times the translators would look at a word and they would say, well, I got one English word to cover ten words. And so preach covers all these ten words. But when you look at the original language, many times when the call is there for you to preach, it's not standing on a pulpit and giving a sermon. The word preach used throughout the Bible could be used for doing this, but also for talking to someone. To sharing something with someone. The idea of preach throughout the Bible is a personal, one-on-one thing that any church member can do. And so, you want to seek and save the lost? The Bible says that the method that God uses for the salvation of men is you. Is you. So why evangelism? Because God's best, best method of salvation is the preaching of the word through you, through the way you live your life, through the way you share books, through the way you give Bible studies, through the way you invite people to church, through the way you invite people to the prophecy seminars. But you might say, well, wait a minute, uh, Pastor, does God really need me for people to be saved? And, and what about this calling upon the name of the Lord? What about the, the Buddhist? What about the Hindu? What about the Muslim?" Will they not be saved because they don't know all this? They haven't been preached to? Well, when it comes to these questions, I think that we minimize the love of God. If God is going to save people because he has seen in their hearts that they would have accepted the gospel, if they would have heard it, that's up to him. That's not your problem. That's his issue. If he wants to save a Muslim, a Buddhist, and a Hindu that has never heard the gospel proclaimed to him, but would have accepted it if he would have heard it, that's his prerogative. And I say amen to that. But when it comes to the church, the church has a clear mandate to preach the word. Because the sharing of the gospel is not the only way to be saved, but it is the the best way. Because if that Muslim and if that Hindu, and if that Buddhist would have heard the preaching of the gospel, I do believe that that would lead more people to make decisions for Jesus Christ. And so we are not the only way, but we are the the best way. We are the best way. Because the gospel is the clearest revelation of God's character, and that's attractive. That's attractive. When you present what Jesus has done for all mankind, then people will be drawn to him. That's what John chapter 12 says. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to to myself. The name of Jesus still has power on earth today. You might go on the street and say, I'm a Christian, and people turn their back on you. You might go on the street and say, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and people say, not interested. You might go out there and say that you're an evangelical, and people say, I don't want to hear about that stuff. But when you start talking about your personal relationship with this man named Jesus, people listen. People are drawn still today to Jesus. In Christ's method of salvation, his best method, not his only method, but his best method is you sharing the story of Jesus. Evangelism is God's way to reach lost people. That's why we do evangelism. Acts chapter 20 gives us another reason why evangelism is important. Maybe sometimes we're selfish, and we say, well, what am I getting out of it? What am I gonna get out of doing evangelism? Well, they'll be saved. What will I get out of it, right? Well, the Bible's got something for our unrefined, unsanctified hearts, too, because Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of Jesus. That he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When you give a Bible study, who is blessed more? The one receiving the Bible study or the one giving the Bible study? You guys are confused? I see some difference in opinion. The Bible says it is more blessed, it is more, more blessed to give than to receive. When you give a Bible study to someone, who is more blessed? The one receiving the Bible study or the one giving the Bible study? All right, all right, now you believe the Bible. When you give someone a book, The Steps of Christ, Great Controversy, who is more blessed, the one receiving that book or the one giving the book? Oh, we're still confused here. The Bible said it is more blessed. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When you give, the Bible declares that you receive a greater blessing than when you receive. And so when you share the gospel... When you give Bible studies, when you share your testimony, when you give books, when you invite people to church, when you invite people to evangelistic series, when you invite people over to your house, when you help someone who is sick by taking them food, when you took out the grass for some uh, elderly person that can't do it for themselves, when you do all these things that you're giving and giving, you are being more blessed than the ones who are receiving. And let me tell you, let me tell you, that there would be more joy in the Christian church. There would be more joy in the Christian church if more people did evangelism. Do You know, as a pastor, I've seen joy in the church. Not all the time, but I've seen joys. Do you know when are the happiest times I've seen in, of Christians in churches? Three times. One time is when they're baptized. Oh, you should see it. When people give their life to Jesus and they come out of the water, some of you need glasses and you don't see very well what happens when I'm in that water, but I'm like right there next to them. And they go down and when they come out, it's like someone turned a light bulb on their face. It's like there's a light radiating from their face. There is joy, there's a genuine smile. They come out and that is one of the moments that I see greatest joy in the church. Do you know what the other two is? The other two, the second one, is when a church member comes to me on a Saturday morning with someone next to them, and they're beaming. I mean, they're beaming. And they're, they're like almost dragging the person over, right? They're like, Pastor, 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 I wanna introduce you to my friend. I invited them to church, and it's their first time here today. And they're just like beaming that someone they invited has come to church. That's the second time I've seen great joy in Christians in the church. The third time, is when you have played an instrumental part in someone giving their life to Jesus and being baptized, when you played a key part in that and you see the progress of that person and they've given their life to Jesus, there is great joy in that. And I think that's the joy that all parents want to also have. When they raise a child since they were born all the way to a point of a decision and they decide to give their life to Jesus, that is a great joy that parents have because it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now I want to share two stories that will give us our final thoughts of why evangelism. Why evangelism? The Bible tells us an interesting experience after the crucifixion and after the resurrection of Jesus when he encountered a disciple who had denied him three times, denied knowing him. And that disciple's name was? Peter. John chapter 21, verse 15, tells us the story of their conversation post this betrayal. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, "Feed feed my lambs. Verse 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. And again, he said to them the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, we think we understand this, but we really don't understand this. Because the word love is so misused in the English language. And so when we look at it here, it's completely ruining the point of the verse. Because you use love for many things. This morning you ate waffles, maybe. I'm not sure what you ate. I ate waffles. I said, I love waffles. That's what my... Little Gianna says all the time, I love waffles. But then I also turn to my wife with the waffles I love in my mouth, and I say, I love you, honey. And then I say my prayers, and I tell Jesus, I love him. And then I talk about my clothes or car or my favorite, you know, tool, and I say, I love it. And then maybe I look at the pet that I used to have, and I said to them one time, I love you, isn't that a total misuse of the word? How can you love God, the creator, love your wife, and also look at your food and say, I love you too in the same way? That's a misuse of the word. In other languages, there's different types of words for love, and in the Greek that this verse was written, it's not using the same word for love in all these verses. It's using a different type of word for love, and I'm sure you've heard of this before, In the Greek, there was primarily three words for love. The first was eros, which we get the word erotica from. But eros doesn't have a negative connotation in the Greek. It just talks about anything that satisfies the physical desires. So when I say I love my waffles, I shouldn't, if I'm speaking Greek, I should really say I eros my waffles, right? Because it's providing a physical satisfaction. It tastes delicious. The second word is phileo, and this is any kind of bond between human beings. And so that's why I could tell my fellow brother, uh, men's ministry brother here at church, I phileo you. I feel like we have a brotherly bond, right? This is the communion we have. But the highest type of love is the third one, which is the agape love. And this is a divine, unselfish love that is not dependent on being loved. All right, eros is you love something because it provides physical satisfaction. Phileo is a type of brotherly or sisterly bond because you love them and they love you. But agape is that divine, unselfish love that is not dependent on being loved or receiving anything. So you're ready to then plug it into the verse that we just read and see how your reading of John chapter 20 changes. John chapter 21 I've considered the word here for love that is used in the Greek. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you, do you agape me? Do you love me with that divine love? And what is he? Do you divine love me more than these? Agape. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. So in other words, what was he saying? No, I I don't have the capacity to love you with agape love. The most I could say is, I phileo you. And so what he's basically saying is, I don't love you in that way. I wish I did, but the most I have is phileo love. But God gives him the remedy to take him from a phileo love to an agape. Agape love. And what is the remedy that he gives him? He says to him, feed my lambs. He continues. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Again, I'm not living up to that agape love. The most I could do is phileo. The most I could have is a brotherly bond. I've failed you. I've denied you. I can't say I agape you. But Jesus says, don't worry. I got the solution for you. He said to him, tend my, my sheep. If you're struggling with loving God, if you're struggling with following in Giving up things and sacrificing and submitting to God, and the only thing that will make you and empower you to do those things is the love of God, but you don't really have that kind of love for God, even though He has that kind of love for you. God has a remedy for you today. Do you want to fall deeper in love with Him? Do you want to grow closer to Jesus? Do you want to love Him the way He loves you? The remedy is still the same go feed His sheep, go tend His sheep. Go do the work of evangelism. Go do the work of helping people in the church and outside the church. And as you walk side by side in, with Jesus doing his work, your love for him will grow. He ends with this, he said to him the third time, Simon, Simon Simon, son of Jonah, and this time Jesus changes it. Do you phileo me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? That's why, that's why Peter was grieved. Not because he asked him three times, but because he changed it from, do you agape me, do you agape me, to, do you phileo me? So Jesus saying, okay, I'm willing to work with you. I am starting where you are at, phileo. So he said to him, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I phileo me. And Jesus said, if you want to get to the next level, then feed my, my sheep. Evangelism page 357 says, the only way to grow in grace is to be disinterestedly doing the very work which Christ has enjoined upon us. If you want to grow like Jesus and grow in love with Jesus more, then do the work of evangelism. Invite someone to church. Give a Bible study. Share a book about Jesus. Share a book about prophecy. Invite them to Jesus on prophecy. And when you start talking about Jesus, if you start sharing Jesus, you'll fall in love with Jesus even more. And you know that, right? I mean, some of you know that. How many of you been in love? Don't raise your hand. That's a rhetorical question. You know that. When you are in love with someone, you grow deeper in love, you start talking about them more, right? When I was dating Gianna, dating Mia, (laughs) my girls' names all get confused. (laughs) When I was dating Mia, she was the number one topic of of conversation. It really was. Every time I I met a a friend of mine, I'd I'd begin with the question, so are you seeing anyone, how's the relationship? And then, because I wanna tell you how my relationship's going. I found a wonderful, wonderful woman and then every time my mother and father would come around, I, you know, the Hispanic parents are very judgmental of who you marry, you know, they, they have high standards. So I'd always talk about how great and, and wonderful she was, and she always lived up to what I talked about. I'm so happy about that. And so when I gave my life to Jesus, I saw the similar parallels. I remember sitting down with friends who I used to know before I accepted Jesus, and after 30 minutes of eating together, One of my friends said, can you stop it already? I said, what, stop what? All you talk about is Jesus. Can you change the subject already? And you know, I hadn't even noticed. I was talking about Jesus. And I said, wait, when I used to talk about, you know, movies, when I used to talk about music, when I used to talk about going to the club, you weren't bothered by that. But now you're bothered by this. And so when we do the work of God, When we do evangelism, when we share Jesus, you will fall more in love with Jesus. Because evangelism is not only God's way of saving, but it's God's means of spiritual growth. The second reason for why evangelism. Let's go to our last story for this morning, found in Luke chapter 10. I'm not going to do all PowerPoint. You guys have to open up your Bibles. So this is church. Open up your Bibles. Luke chapter 10, verse 29, Luke chapter 10, verse 29 to 37, a very familiar story that many of you know, even without reading, it is the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you guys know it? Luke chapter 10, verse 29 to 37, the story begins in your pew Bible, it's page 1196, Luke chapter 10, verse 29, this is what it says. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my, my neighbor? So what's the original question that is asked? Who is my, my neighbor? Because the Jews understood that you need to be nice to your neighbor, right? You need to do good to your neighbor. You need to be a blessing to your neighbor. And so they were asking, well, who is my My neighbor, because they wanted to to restrict that to the smallest group as possible. But Jesus changes the question from who is my neighbor to the end to another question. Let's read. Jesus answered by telling this story. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead you imagine that being jumped be, having everything stolen from you even your clothes being left half naked just there in the street to die verse 31 now by chance a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side verse 32 likewise a Levite so a priest was the one who was of course, in charge of the sacrificial system, right? He was the one ministering at the temple. A Levite also worked at the temple, not necessarily the one who was in charge of the sacrifices, but he could have been in charge of other things in the temple. So these are people you would expect are considered in that society the most righteous men. A Levite, likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Do you see the change? They began the question with, who is my neighbor? Jesus ends the story with, who of those three are a neighbor to others? So the question is not who's your neighbor, but are you a neighbor to others? And so in Adventism, we could say that maybe those three categories exist as well because there's people who are lost, who are broken, who have been beat up, stripped, and robbed of by Satan. And they're there everywhere we walk. Now they might look okay, they might sound okay, but the Bible says that all are lost. And so we know they're broken. We know they're hurt. We know they're in need of Jesus. And so the three, ad, uh, the three categories of Adventism is the priest. The priest is that Seventh-day Adventist who is coming to church or is going through his life and he comes to church, he comes to Sabbath school, he faithfully pays his tithes and offering, but he's not interested in sharing the healing gospel to anyone around him. If he finds someone in need, maybe someone asks him for help, they'll say, you know what, call my pastor. There's no interest in the lost. The second one is the Levite. The Levite at least came over and looked, right? The other one was like, I'm, I'm too busy. I don't have time to share the gospel. I don't have time to pass out a book. I don't have time for all that. I go to church. I pay my tithe. I'm good. The Levite is that Seventh-day Adventist Christian who knows that people are lost out there and feels even conviction as he or she sees their coworkers, their families, their friends struggling in life, and they know they have the antidote. And they think, ah, oh, should I? But oh, they continue. They live with that conviction that they should do, but they don't. But the Samaritan is that third group in the Seventh-day Adventist church who looks and has compassion. Not because it's easy. Do you think that the Samaritan didn't have a family waiting for him back at home? Do you think he wasn't busy with his business doing those trips? Do you think it wasn't a great inconvenience for him to take him to the inn to bandage him and give of his own money? Not because it's convenient or easy. He did it because he had compassion on the lost. And how I hope that's our spirit. The spirit of the Good Samaritan towards the lost. We end with these words, Revelation 22, verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. If you receive the invitation, you're supposed to give the invitation. And so, two weeks after the little girl was lost, Frank Fortino came back into my office for our Bible studies. And he was overjoyed. He told me, she's been found. She's alive, but she has been found, and she's back with her family. And can you imagine the joy of her family when that child came back into their home? They must have hugged her, kissed her, cried over her, loved on her more than ever before. And there's lost children of Jesus out there And I pray you're the good Samaritan that finds them and brings them back home. As you leave church today, I'm gonna give you that opportunity. We're gonna be handing out flyers for our seminar. I'm gonna ask you to do something simple. Get three or five of them and give them to someone you know. It could be the grocery store clerk you've seen over the years, it could be a coworker, it could be a family member, it could be a friend, a student next to you in class and invite them invite them to come here so we can introduce Jesus to them because he's the best way to be saved let's pray dear heavenly father we thank you so much that you sent your you have come down to earth as Jesus Christ did to seek and save the lost and thank you because i'm one of those who was lost And I heard the good news. Thank you so much that someone evangelized me. And I'm sure, Lord, that there's people here who someone reached out to them. I wanna ask that we would continue that cycle going, that you would use us this week to be your hands and feet to this world. This I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. We all said, amen. Let us stand for our closing song, friends.